Welcome to the Lemper Report Live. Today, we're going to talk about the impact of social media on our food choices, the connection between climate change and coffee, a major reason why some people are single and it has to do about food and how Instacart workers are trying to get the company to change the way they're being treated. We bring you our unique insights on grocery retail, sustainability, e-commerce, new product reviews and consumer trends. And we also want to know what's on your mind. So I hope you'll add your comments right in the chat box and we'll share your comments during the program. So, Sally, what do we have on our radar today? Hi, Phil. We have all we're all familiar with the negative impacts of peer pressure and how that can be. But but we've got some interesting research here that could mean that peer pressure can be a positive thing when it comes to food. Uh, we're looking at a study from Aston University's College of Health and Life Sciences, where they found that when they showed participants in the study mock Instagram pictures, some of them had fruits and vegetables, and some of them had things like cake. <laughs> However, the fruits and vegetables, some of them had been endorsed by a heavy amount of likes. And when they showed these images to the participants, they found that more people when they were given the choice of eating grapes or cookies, chose the grapes. So what's so interesting to me, and, and you pointed it out at the, at the top, is that very often, you know, we have this peer pressure to, to eat the wrong things. Uh, but this test, and, and they're going to continue testing, really is showing that if there's a lot of pictures of fruits and vegetables, a lot of healthy foods, and a lot of uh, your peers like it, that you're inclined to eat those foods. So I think that's really great. And I guess, you know, the challenge for all of us is to say, how do we get people to, you know, post healthy foods uh, versus some of the uh, more wacko foods that we see on Instagram that <laughs> frankly are not very healthy? Well, that's a good question. And that's one of the things that the researcher talks about is that this is very useful information in that we could get people to make healthier food choices if they are following uh, accounts that are nutritionally, nutritionally balanced, I guess is what you could say. But I think in addition, it's also great information when we think about children and exposing them to images of fresh, healthy foods that um, we're actually conditioning them, you know, whether they're, you know, they're not on Instagram maybe, but if they're seeing these images somehow around them, then maybe they will make healthier choices naturally as well. And especially on TikTok. You know, mm -hmm. if we look at a lot of the TikTok food videos, they're of the wacko foods. And, yes. <laughs> and if we could somehow get everybody aligned and say, OK, let's put up healthier foods. Maybe that's the way to reverse obesity and diabetes and heart disease uh, through those images. Um, so, you know, a new study also just came out about mushrooms. Tell us about that. Yes, mushrooms are very exciting right now because we are realizing so many benefits beyond not just nutritionally, but all different ways that we can use mushrooms um, to our advantage. And we're seeing them used more in the in the plant based foods that are being that are being um, that are coming out in the supermarkets. And so so this is really good news to find out that they have all of these benefits, especially right now when we've all been dealing with a lot of people 
um, becoming sick in this pandemic. So some studies are, have been combined here to show that there are, there are about five really great benefits of mushrooms um, that are highlighted. And the number one being that mushrooms are surprisingly rich in vitamin D. And now we, we all know our doctors tell us we need vitamin D, but it's very difficult to get from food. The best way usually to get it is to get outside in the sunshine. But some people live in places where they can't do that. So mushrooms, turns out, can provide anywhere from 50 to 100% of your daily vitamin D needs. But the most important thing to remember is in order to access the vitamin D that's naturally occurring in mushrooms, they actually have to be um, they they have to be exposed to either sunlight or UV light. Um, so when you're in the supermarket and you're buying mushrooms, uh, look for the packages uh, that that highlight the vitamin D because it it if you just have raw mushrooms that are not exposed to sunlight or UV lamp, you don't get that benefit of vitamin D. Um, and that's something that, you know, uh, it's important to note that um, when we're when we're looking for foods that are delicious and nutritious, such as mushrooms, um, it's important. Um, also, you know, the Mushroom Council developed oh, with James Beard Foundation probably about five, six years ago now, uh, the blend, which is 50 percent uh, ground beef and 50 percent mushrooms. And it's really the umami uh, flavor in mushrooms that makes the burger taste even better than if it was all beef, but you're cutting out a lot of the saturated fat, you're cutting out, you know, a lot of uh, the bad part of meat uh, to be able to have mushrooms. Um, so yeah, mushrooms are a great thing, but again, when you're in the store looking for it, make sure you look at for those packages that highlight the fact that they have been um, through a UV tunnel in order to um, access that vitamin D. Um, climate change, We're, we talk a lot about climate change here. Um, what's the latest news about climate? Well, this can be very disappointing for people who love their coffee. And I know a lot of people that are very serious about their coffee. Uh, however, because of climate change and production costs going up, we could be looking at about a 60% uh, extinction of high quality coffee species, um, the rising temperatures, extreme rainfalls and higher frequency of severe droughts are causing uh, real issues for growing coffee beans. And it, this is causing the prices to go way up too. Yeah, and if we take a look, Brazil is probably the number one producer of, of coffee. Um, in the world, and because of their drought, uh, because of their um, flooding, um, a lot of that coffee um, has been destroyed. So yes, prices are going to go up. But what we've got to be careful of is, you know, there's different types of coffee, and what I'm afraid of is as the price goes up, some manufacturers um, are not going to want to increase the price of coffee. So they're going to give us um, Robusta beans. And basically what that means, if you see that on the label, uh, basically there's a lot of twigs and sticks in that coffee. Um, and it's ground up, so you don't know it, but there's actually less coffee in that. Uh, so you want to make sure when you're in the store, when you're buying coffee, that it does not say Robusta. 
on it because that's the way to keep the price down and you have less of a quality of coffee. Um, for those people who are single, there's, there's a new study uh, that comes out that says why they might be single and, and what's going on, especially <laughs> with millennials and Generation Z. Well, this is very interesting to me. According to one poll that uh, conducted this study in conjunction with Farm Rich, they looked at people's biggest pet peeves when it comes to eating habits. And they found that 68% would find eating with your mouth open inexcusable. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. Okay. 49% yeah. said that dropping food on the floor was unforgivable, which <laughs> immediately when I read this, it made me think of Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman when the snail, when she's eating the snail and it goes flying yeah. across the room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, However, one thing that was really interesting to me is that the Gen Z participants seem to be um, a little bit more forgiving than millennials. 73% of Gen Z will politely ignore a food habit that annoys them. However, 61% of millennials will ask someone to stop that bad, annoying food habit, or they will end the date or relationship. <laughs> so, so it's so interesting to me um, that, and, and this poll is large, it's 2,000 Americans. A lot. Uh, that men on a first date are almost twice as likely as women to break up with someone or end a date early because of these annoying food habits. Um, what they also, which which conjures up, you know, that old Seinfeld uh, episode about double dipping that George, you know, was going ballistic mm -hmm. on, 44% of respondents are against double dipping. Um, I, I just, you know, it's, I guess it's weird to me um, when I when I see this response, especially for first dates and the other thing that they found um, is a lot of people like dips. Uh, Seventy percent <laughs> of people say that dips is their appetizer of choice. But but what's shocking to me is over half, 52 percent of fans of dips would jump in a pool of their favorite dip for a year's supply of it. I'm not going to I am not going to, you know, jump into a pool of hummus or <laughs> something else for a year's supply of it. Would you? Um, I don't I don't think so. And I was I was very surprised at that number, too. But, hey, I guess people love their dip. If seven out of 10 say that that's their appetizer for choice, um, they just don't want you to um stick your chip in there, you know, twice. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a big dip person. I mean, I like salsa. Um, so I guess you would consider that a dip. But um, a lot of the other ones, I'm not a dip person. I don't like the mouthfeel of it and, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I want to say uh, exactly February 13th, 2017 in my Forbes column, I wrote a column about how Instacart's employees um, were up in arms that, um, and again, 2017, so it's back a bit, um, they had <clears throat> cut the pay for some workers in some cities, um, and it was the second time in less than a year that Instacart cut their pay, 
And what I found at that point in time on four separate orders, three in Los Angeles and one in uh, New York City, my delivery person who delivered my Instacart order complained to me and explained that the service charge that I was paying didn't actually go to them, that Instacart was taking that money and offsetting, you know, their own uh, their own pocket if you would, um, and really cheating, uh, cheating a lot of their workers. And now the story, uh, some four years later, almost five years later, um, has has accelerated uh, with their gig workers collective. What's going on with that? Well, it is very disturbing what we're hearing about the treatment of employees over at Instacart. And about a week ago, the Gig Workers Collective got together and they started a campaign, delete, hashtag delete Instacart campaign was what it was called. And they what they were doing was reaching out to customers and asking them to delete the Instacart app until five very specific demands were met um, by the company for the employees. Um, all of them very legitimate. Now, those demands have not been met. And as of today, I read that the Gig Workers Collective is, is saying that they are going to walk off on October 16th if nothing is done about this. So what are these five um, demands that they're making? Well, the first one is about is about being paid by the order. So it used to be with Instacart that they would get $10, get paid $10 an order. Now, Instacart lowered that amount to $7 an order. But not only are they doing that, but uh, shoppers will pick up what's called batch orders so that they can make more tips in one shopping trip. So if they've got three orders that they're working on, Instacart is paying them for one order. So you're doing you're shopping for three orders and you're getting seven dollars for all of all of it. So that's one of the things they want to change. They want to get paid by the order and they would like to see that amount go back up to ten dollars or, you know, or above seven dollars. Um, they also would like to see um, commission reintroduced. Um, so. This is this is about being paid by the order as well. So if you shop for something that is, you know, three items and you're getting seven dollars for that order, you're also getting you're shopping for 50 items and getting seven dollars an order. So that seems a little imbalanced. Um, they would like protection for being punished unfairly um, when customers and I guess this happens often customers will defraud the company by falsely claiming that items are missing or um, you know that that something's wrong with the packaging and this this is the shopper has to um, take the blame for that and so that affects their ratings and so they want to be protected a little bit more by they would also by instacart they would also like to see the default tip amount go from five percent to 10%. So right now, if you go on your Instacart profile and you order your groceries, it automatically goes to a 5% tip. Um, and some a lot of people probably miss that when they're ordering their groceries and don't look at that little space and and see exactly how much that tip adds up for them. And you can you can change that either up or down. And I remember you can. Um, in interviewing some of the Instacart employees again back in 2017, what people would do, what what shop uh, customers would do is they would put up a big tip, let's say 15 percent mm -hmm. to them. 
but they had 24 hours to revise it. So one of the complaints that I heard uh, from a lot of these Instacart shoppers is somebody put in 15%, you get your order, then they go back and they delete the tip entirely. Yes, that's that seems very unfair and misleading to the shopper because they think they're they're working for a tip and it, it, it it's dehumanizing in a lot of ways. Um, the, the final the final demand that they, that these Instacart workers have is that they would they would like occupational death benefits um, and they'd like to have sick pay for shoppers who test positive for covid, which I believe is very, very important because if people know that they are positive, but they're not going to get paid if they take off work, guess what some of them are going to do? They're going to go to work anyway. Absolutely. Same thing that we see on farms with farm mm-hmm. workers mm-hmm. Um, that, that we do it. Uh, well, you know, good, good job uh, for for this group for standing up for their rights. And also, you know, it's an important story because Instacart now employs over 500,000 of these shoppers uh, across the nation. So, you know, we're not just talking about a few people. We're talking about a half a million people who this affects. Um, also, there's one other story that I came across this morning that I want to get your opinion on. Um, to me, it's another strange one. Um, Oscar Mayer um, is now in the clothing business. What they've done is they've introduced meat-inspired street meat clothing. There, there's 13 different um, items, uh, bucket hats, slides. I don't even know what a slide is. Uh, <laughs> track suits, bomber jackets, um, you know, and, and where you buy it. You can't buy it online. You have to buy it from a hot dog cart in New York, L.A., or Atlanta. And they're also going to be putting Wienermobile pop-up shops. Um, And those will be nationwide through the end of October. So, you know, if you want to get your street meat Oscar Mayer clothing, I guess now's the time. I guess so. I would be really worried about the um, the amount of people in our population that are growing that are vegetarians. And, um, you know, if you were wearing street meat clothing, out, <laughs> might get some paint thrown on you or something. Yeah, it, it, it goes back to the old um, what was happening when people were wearing fur. Yes. You know, would throw paint at them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, walk around with a Oscar Mayer hot dog shirt and you might get paint or mustard. So earlier this week, I explored how the pandemic has changed the way senior leadership roles are changing with David Turner, the president and CEO of Kincannon and Reed, who is the leading global recruiting firm for food and agriculture. Here's what he had to say. I want to go back to something that you said. Um, When we look at millennials and Generation Z, we've talked for years about how food involved they are, um, that they really care about where their food comes from. They care about recipes more and, and so on. So, you know, gleaning from what you just said, do we have you know, future generations who are much more involved in food than perhaps you and I were when we were kids. And as a result, we're going to have, you know, better leaders when it comes to food and agriculture because it's in their DNA. Yeah, it's a great question. I think I think the way these generations are involved in food today 
are different than the way we were involved in food. So you mentioned your father had, you know, a dairy background and, you know, my dad grew up on uh, a bit of a farm in, in, you know, near Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I'm a city boy. I grew up in Phoenix. Right. (laughs) So even from me to, to my, to, to the next generation, you know, we, 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 I think that there's going to be, and there has been an influx of talent from these new generations that aren't from the farm and, and their involvement with food is different. So they haven't necessarily grown it. They haven't necessarily had their hands in the dirt or milk the cows or whatever, but they are keenly aware of, or want to be aware of where it comes from, how it's produced, um, what kind of impact it has on the environment, um, how it should be sold. Uh, if uh, they're aware of, of food deserts in our cities because they're from the city. So it, the, the, I think I would say, Phil, it's just a different kind of connection with the food ag value chain than you and I have experienced, perhaps uh, those of us that are in the older, older generation. And therefore, it's going to look different. The, the complexion of these organizations and, and where some of them are located, where jobs are located and what jobs look like, I think will change. And that's a good thing. Look, if there's anything that I know about the ag food value chain, is we are resilient. I mean, when the pandemic hit, we knew from an executive search perspective that we would have a decline in business and that our organizations that we served would be hitting pause for a while because they needed to. But look, if and and I don't want to downplay the pandemic. Pandemic is is a unique once mm-hmm. in a lifetime deal. But hopefully. look, if it's not a pandemic, hopefully, hopefully. If it's not a pandemic. It's a trade war with China. If it's right. not a trade war with China, it's a drought in Brazil. And if it's not a drought in Brazil, it's uh, farmers on strike in, in France. Look, the ag food value chain knows how to deal with crisis, knows how to look at things long term, knows how to place their bets wisely, and have a tremendous amount of trust and respect for the people that we serve and, and you know, where I come from. Vaccinated shoppers prefer private brands from Wegmans, Trader Joe's, and Whole Foods. A study conducted by Numerator showed which private label brands in the grocery and health and beauty departments were most purchased among shoppers vaccinated against COVID-19. While on the surface, you may think that a report like this offers little value to the supermarket industry. I would disagree. Just as we segment shoppers by income, gender, ethnicity, and the like, being able to dig deeper into segmentation makes us all smarter marketers. Brands now have the opportunity to connect consumer buying behavior to much more detailed individual information. In this case, vaccination status, said Eric Belcher, the CEO of Numerator, in the study. 230,000 of the consumers in their panel have already shared their vaccination status with them in addition to their purchasing data, the demographics, and the psychographic. This gives brands a more complete understanding of how their specific consumers are relating to the Delta variant and to design marketing and advertising that better resonates with them. Takeaways from the survey found that East Coast consumers are being 13% more likely to be vaccinated than the average consumer. High income households being more likely to be vaccinated and consumers who say they live very active lives having the highest vaccination score. Numerator then segmented grocers' private brands and indexed them based on shoppers' vaccination rates. Now, Trader Joe's led with three brands in the top 10 
followed by Whole, Whole Foods and Wegmans with two each in the top 10. The top five include Charles Shaw at Trader Joe's 128 vaccinated shopper score, Trader Ming's at Trader Joe's 124 score, Feel You Feel Good About Wegmans with 123, Whole Foods Market at 122, and Hannaford at 120. Noticeable exceptions are private label brands from Safeway and ShopRite, where the retailer itself did not make the top 10 list at all. Now, the full report can be downloaded from Numerator's website. And what's also interesting is they took a look at grocery brands themselves. And what they found is those brands with the highest shopper vaccination scores, number one, FIA the yogurt with a score of 119, and Green Mountain Coffee, number two, Rayo's Homemade Sauces, number three, Beyond Meat, number four, and Dietz and Watson, number five, which is really interesting when we look at brands. Now it's time to hit the bullseye. Marketing to different cultures can be a lot harder than one thinks. It was back in 1985 that Frank Perdue, that beloved spokesperson and owner of the chicken company, led one of the biggest blunders of his career. He had undoubtedly made Perdue the top brand by stating matter-of-factly that it takes a strong man to make a tender chicken. Then the company and their ad agency decided to target Latin consumers. And when they translated his famous slogan to Spanish, it translated to, it takes an aroused man to make a chicken affectionate. And Purdue was not alone. Pepsi spooked its consumers in Taiwan when it didn't realize that it's come alive with a Pepsi generation slogan was translated as, Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the dead. The list goes on and on with famous, successful brands not really understanding the cultures of the consumers that they're targeting. I just came across a report from Vivo Music Tracker that is a must-read for anyone who wants to market to the Latin and Hispanic American communities. Music and culture are intrinsically linked for Hispanic Americans, said Rob Velez, Senior Director of Multicultural at Vivo, the video streaming service. He goes on to say that our data shows they find music videos even more culturally relevant than sports, an entertainment genre that historically has been heavily utilized by advertisers to get in front of Hispanic American consumers. So here's some stats. The average Hispanic American spends an average of three hours a day consuming music. 40% of Hispanic Americans watch music videos every day. And 61% say that music helps them connect with friends and family. So supermarket retailers who want to attract Hispanic American shoppers need to do more than just filling their shelves with the foods that this culture wants. They need to reach out to them through music and music videos to get them into the store. Here's to a great week. And we'll see you back here next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for joining us.